Hello and welcome to Who Watches the World Cup with me, Dominic Archer, and uh, and David Bryan. Hello, David. How are you? Three lions on a shirt. Jewels oh. remain still gleaming. of hurt sounds about right in your case, my friend. Oh, it hurts so much. Why do they make me care, Don? Why do they make me care? You know what? We came into this tournament expecting England to lose. And then when they do lose, it sucks. What? That is so Um, unfair. What? I don't think I deserve this much emotional turmoil. (laughs) Well, it's like, you know, you... You meet the the love of your life, but they're the love of your life because you don't have that expectation, right? You meet them and everything, you know, you you don't have the expectation of, oh, maybe she's the one. You know, you're just just kind of getting on, but the more you get on, the more, the closer you become, the more you realise, actually, maybe she is the one because there was no pretense of that kind of romance to begin with. But then, as you get closer and older and older, you... It eventually all falls down. That's how I feel about England. It's heartbreak. It's the inevitable. It's um, it's love. It it is love. And why do we keep coming back to them, Dave? Why do we always go back? because uh, they say they'll change. They always they say did. that they'll change and they'll be different. They... And and oh. this time they actually were. For so we can at least give them credit for for sticking to their word and. And being the England we always wanted. The England that we maybe didn't deserve, but the England that we needed. I don't know, man. I'm seeing a lot of stuff online about, like, our boys did us proud. Good old boys, well done. You did your country proud. And I'm like, like, fuck did they do the country proud. (laughs) Oh, my God. Like, fuck. Because we, we've said from the beginning, from the first time we spoke about England, we said there are some serious problems here and it's kind of lucky that they're playing weaker opposition. Right? Like we, like, even we were in the Panama game. It was like, yeah, we beat Panama, what, 5-1? 6-1. But, sorry, 6-1. But three of those goals came from penalties, right? And... That with no penalties against Croatia, England never stood a chance. And if you can't, if you can't even get the ball into the box, then you don't deserve to even be in the semi-finals. In extra time, uh, okay, this is why I'm so angry, because for for me the the match started at two a.m. Right, so I thought I'm, I'm not going to watch the first half. Um, I'll, 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 I set my alarm for, for 3.30, so I'll come in with 15 minutes of the game left, left to go. I came in, and I came in the 65th minute, 66th minute Croatia scores. You know what, Don? Now, this, I'm starting to see a correlation here. I might, we might have to stop being friends. You know, it, maybe I'm angry at England for the one thing of them that I see is losing. Maybe <laughs> I'm, I'm actually angry at myself. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm projecting on them to blame, you know, so I can get rid of the superstitious anger and fury that I feel at myself. But in the, um, in extra time, because I wanted to watch the, the last 15 minutes and then go to sleep, but they made me watch another fucking 45 minutes. <laughs> um, Croatia had seven shots on goal in extra time. England had one shot on goal. And for me, that sums up everything, you know? Like, and sure, unless but they, that one shot of goal is a penalty, England yeah. was never going to get there. It's, yeah, it's, I think this happened to you on a previous England game where you had to come in um, late because of the, the scourge that is the, the time difference for you. Yeah. And what, what you missed, both in, it seems like what you missed both in this case and in the previous case was the parts where England were dominant are the parts that you sleep through. And then when it, <laughs> for some reason, you waking up four or 5,000 miles away, uh, 
puts England back to sleep and then suddenly the opposition have uh, a period of dominance. At least with the Columbia game, we uh, we we uh, rode, th- rode out that period of trouble yeah. that, um, that they that they posed to us and then we got some dominance back towards the end of extra time. But yeah, with this case, with this case we started really well. We started really strongly, a goal in the first five minutes. But we just we did that same old, same old, as much as this is a new, supposed to be a new breed of England and a new attitude and the psychology of the squad is different. We did that same thing that we also did against Columbia where we got a goal and we were like, okay, we've got a goal now. So we don't have to keep playing this. We don't have to score anymore. Yeah. Maybe, it might, it's probably not a conscious decision, but it just seems to be something that always happens where you get a goal and you go, okay, okay, we've done it. Oh my God, we've done it. We've done it. We've scored a goal. What do we do now? What do we do now? What do we do now? And all that does is allow the opposition a chance to gain a footing in the game. That's exactly how it, how it happened. And one thing that you did say, which I think actually was true for the whole game, was we didn't really create a whole lot in the whole match. I mean, I think there were recorded two shots on target the entire game, which I'm not sure that's correct because I remember obviously there's the free kick. Um, Harry Kane had a shot when he was uh, had a chance when he was through on goal that was initially saved, and then his follow up he had another go and hit the post and hit the keeper and then went out for a corner. So that one doesn't count. But then what about the John Stones also had a shot. He had a header that was cleared off the line. So I, I count three shots on target. So the BBC statistics man needs a needs a needs a foul word against him. Uh, but yeah, that was two officially two attempts on target in 120 minutes. Out of only 11 attempts all in all. That's half as many as Croatia had in the entire 120 minutes. And seven of theirs hit the target. So yeah. in, this, in that case, that there is shades of, of the old England where there's just not, as much, not enough creativity, uh, not clinical enough. And we saw it in an, on an individual basis with players that we've, we had grown through the group stages to rely on. Harry Kane, I think. I don't want to put any... I mean... I, a blanket no, Harry, Harry Kane. Harry Kane's a good one to bring up because I think currently he is still leading the golden boot. Right? Is that right? Still on with with six goals, even though he didn't score in the last one. I don't uh, think because yeah, Lukaku didn't score. So, um, in, in the France game, so I think at this point he he still he still is. But Harry Kane has to be the weakest golden boot winner assuming that he wins it the weakest golden boot winner for a long time how, maybe how even since since gary lineker what on 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 like actually not achieving anything like i, I am taking a lot of this very much to heart but harry kane the stuff that he did do was because he was stood in front of the keeper and it was a one-on-one and, well, it was a penalty. And when he when he was needed, he was nowhere to be seen. And I think this is part of the problem of having the captain being the striker, right? Where Whereby you the person you need to be marshalling your troops is your captain. But if he's all the way up the other end of the pitch, then who's holding your team together? Well, yeah, that's. Um, I think the main the problem there really was not nothing really to do with him as captain because I think he, he he can do that. But then he was dropping quite deep for, as that game went on, and it just looked like he was so he looked like a lot, a lot of the players began to look like as that game went on. They just looked tired. People were everyone was talking about how Croatia should be getting t- would get tired sooner because their round of sixteen game went all the way to penalties. Their quarter final went all the way to penalties. This was going into extra time, so everyone's thinking, well, England should be fresher. We got through the quarterfinals in 90 minutes so surely they should have more energy in reserve but it seemed to be the opposite Croatia seemed to manage their stamina much better and that's probably why they were slower uh, and we, ha- we were dominant in the first half an hour at least if not the whole first half um, so with Harry Kane beginning to look tired he's, he's not propping up in those positions like we saw him for his goal against Tunisia where he just was in the perfect place at the perfect time to score the winning goal he was dropping deep. He was coming to get the ball instead of being, playing right on the shoulder and giving their defenders trouble. Uh, but having said that, I didn't really see him as sharp as we expect Harry Kane to be. Um, and maybe that is just down to tiredness. Maybe it's down to inexperience. Maybe it's down to like that old age-old excuse of, oh, the Premier League is such a long, tough season. 
which you know mm. who, who are we to say whether that's that does take into that should be taken into account or not but um i think he had those two opportunities that he did have where he did get a nice, a nice through ball from Jesse Lingard, which put him through on goal. 100% fit Harry Kane, I think, bends that round the keeper and it goes in. Um, and, the, you know, people might say that maybe he should have passed it to Raheem Sterling or when it came back to him, maybe he shouldn't have tried to go for goal again. But, you know, I think he's a striker. He wants to score goals. Let him have another go um, if he wants to. But then the, his, another good chance he had from a header that he completely, f- like, looked like he jumped over the ball almost and had to bring his head all the way down to head it. Oh, my God. God, it that was horrendous. And it, that was and embarrassing, David. It was embarrassing. I think you are, have no sympathy here, Dom. Like, I think you have to look at the whole the whole picture of a World Cup and the the physical drain there would be on the body. Obviously, these are meant to be the most prime athletes in the world, and they shouldn't really be getting tired to the point where they can't do their jobs. But emotionally, psychologically, physically, Harry Kane was not at his best in that moment. Uh, Harry Kane at his best pops that in or at least gets it on target but for whatever reason the man we wanted to be in that place at that time was not the man who needed to be at that place at that time which is a real a real shame but it was just a bit of a uh, a sign of that um, that kind of slippery slope I suppose that uh, we've been witnessing as England's uh, rose up these great heights and our hopes went with them and our expectations maybe creeped up incrementally with each game but then they've just started to dip um, these last few games and maybe Sweden was a bit too easy for us maybe if it was a harder game we would have come into Croatia with a few more you know a few more battle scars if it'd be a bit more wily and be a bit more crucial a bit more deadly and a bit more clinical so I I, I won't have you berating Harry Kane for for any reason <laughs> When well, I, when, he's, I will. when he he may still like you say he may still win the golden boot, but if you win the golden boot, it's never because you don't deserve it. Like that that's never the case. Like scoring goals is the hardest part of football, and if someone can score six of them over the space of six games, I'd say I'd say that's pretty good. Even if you take your luck where where it's uh, where it's dropped in front of you. I don't know, man. It's just. It's an emotional time. I just, I know, and and this, yeah, is, this just, is undoubtedly the hardest, the hardest podcast that we we we're gonna have to do from this. I I just don't need this shit, right? <laughs> like I have enough going on in my life without England disappointing me as well. And I know what you mean. I mean, in the last in the last episode, I did say that this game, that's the semi final, was basically a win win. Because I mean, as we've seen, having England having lost, the country is still very proud, and no one is bitterly disappointed to get this far, to get into the semi-finals, um, exceeded all expectations, and England for the first time that I can remember have have overachieved as a squad, as opposed to underachieved in the, this, this mm. golden generation of old that never really delivered. So. I was. That's why it was. I think I took it even harder, having very inter, my intellectual brain being very well. Semi-finals is great, even if we don't go all the way. We've done really. Like the boys have done really well, and it's been a great journey. And like bottom line, this is the start of something. This isn't like dec- years and decades of growth and hard work leading up to the pinnacle. This is that we've got to this far in on in stage one. You know, like this is phase one of a. <laughs> Of the of England's mark, whatever you want to call it, England twenty eighteen onwards, England under Gareth Southgate. So we can only get stronger and better from here. But when that first goal went in, I was it was a bit like Sweden. It was like, okay, great, there's a goal, that's fantastic. Let's go from there. But it wasn't until the second half came around and Croatia grew into the game and they were clearly the more dominant that I started to get worked up and I started to get anxious and tense. And then obviously from the the point of the equaliser onwards. Suddenly, now my th- this matters to me on a deep, emotional, and powerful level that I wasn't really expecting. And I, th- what I realized in that moment was I was one of those people who believed we could go all the way. And I never, I never really would have admitted that before because, like I say, intellectually, I can identify that this is a great achievement in itself. But in my heart, I was, I was seeing England walking out in the World Cup final, and I've, I've not. 
been hurt this way many times in my in my 31 years I don't know what to do well this is normally you know the part where I could um, give you some interesting facts about England or you know English politics and there's uh, there's not much joy to 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 get from there the Brexit is still going Oh, it, oh, um, oh, God. I wasn't even thinking about that. And um, that is actually kind of interesting, though. Um, because, ev- well, ev- everyone who listens to this is probably our grandparents. So they, they're watching BBC News more than I am. They have a better understanding of what's going on. <laughs> but um, last week, Theresa May took the, her uh, conservative conservative Tory friends to the the Prime Minister's um, country residence called Chequers and uh, they they all sat down and they all agreed what the new the new Brexit policy was going to be going forward um, and then the Brexit Minister David Davis comes out a few days afterwards just as Theresa May is thinking thank God I finally actually have control over my own party it, it was looking rough for about my entire time as Prime Minister, but now <laughs> it's smooth sailing from here. Uh, then the Brexit Minister goes, I've had enough, I can't agree with the Prime Minister's direction for Brexit, and he resigns. Then the Foreign Minister, Boris Johnson, follows suit and resigns. There are uh, multiple uh, junior ministers who resign as well uh, from their, their cabinet positions which puts Theresa May in a particularly difficult position because um, she voted to remain in the EU and she always wanted to remain. Um, And so progressing on Brexit for her was, well, the people voted for it, so we basically have to do it. Whereas David Davis, who was the Brexit secretary, actually believed in Brexit. Um, And so for him to now go, oh, no, it's too difficult. And for Boris Johnson, the foreign minister, who was also a big supporter and liar over Brexit, to now turn around and go, oh, no, it's too difficult. It's like, you know what, you sons of bitches? You don't get to put us in this position and then just drop it and walk away. Um, I've got a lot of anger around all of this stuff. Because also this week as well, the uh, tangerine man himself, Donald Trump, is... is uh, <laughs> landing in the UK, Sadiq Khan gave authorization to float that giant baby Trump balloon over Westminster. But um it he doesn't o- he seem... authorized that. Yes. Yeah. Because <laughs> well, then, um Trump they, and Khan because... don't exactly have a great uh history. No, right. no. Uh no, that's very true. Sadiq Khan at one point said that um if you live in a city like London or New York, then uh, terrorism is something that uh, we have to come to learn to deal with living in the big city because you know it's been happening for um, for, for over 20 years now um, we can't continue to be surprised when it happens and Donald Trump turned around and said Sadiq Khan is basically supporting terrorism um, and they've had various back and forths but yes, the uh, the the big Trump balloon had to be authorized by the mayor of London to uh, to to have it set up, um, and and it is there. But of course, Theresa May has decided that uh, they're going to avoid that, and Trump spending more time with um, uh, with his golf course in Scotland than he is around Westminster. The uh, Speaker of the House of Commons refused to allow Trump to speak in front of Parliament, which is something that. Uh, American presidents quite often do. He's been offered the opportunity to meet the Queen. He's meeting with the meeting with the Queen soon, which I think is um, an honor only given to two previous presidents. I think Barack Obama and George Bush. I'm not sure which George Bush. One of the George Bushes one was, uh, yeah, one of the Bushes met met the Queen. Probably George H. No, probably George W. George W. Probably met the Queen. Um, but. Trump was given that invitation to meet the Queen 
what was it? The same day, the same day he introduced the Muslim ban, um, oh. Theresa May turned around and said, "We've got great relations with America." And then the same day, Donald Trump turns around and goes, "We're banning Muslims from coming into America." Um, and maybe there's a parallel here between Theresa May and Harry Kane. Um, currently, I hate them both, but they have both <laughs> been put into positions which are rather unfortunate. And a lot is expected of them, and they kind of can't deliver on it because of the incompetence of their teammates. Um, and there is a, a certain degree to which I feel sorry for Theresa May, because I think all she wants to do is be Prime Minister. But every, it's like you, you want to put out a fire, but everyone around you is throwing wood on the flames right like yeah. like look if i can just put this fire out which is basically her entire because she became prime minister after the brexit referendum the yeah. worst possible time to become prime minister i know why don't i become prime minister at the time where the country hates everybody else there you have 50 percent who voted one way 50 percent who voted the other and they despise each other so i theresa may Home Secretary for the Conservative Party of everyone. The the least inspiring person for the least inspiring party are going to unite this the broken nation. And she's been trying to do that while Boris Johnson has been clowning around <laughs> having British, British citizens arrested in Iran. And it's like, oh, for God's sake. If I, I, I do feel sorry for her to a, a certain extent. Do you have more sympathy for Theresa May than you do for Harry Kane right now? Is that, is that what you're saying? I think I might do, yeah. Which, <laughs> oh. if, you, if you asked me, if Ow. you asked me two years ago, three years ago, because, the, right, Harry Kane had a good season, has had a couple of great seasons in Premier League football, right? But if you chart the career of Harry Kane and the career of Theresa May side by side... <laughs> Um, to re you could say that their rise to uh, their rise to prominence is probably started around the same time. I guess you, you you probably could chart their careers side by side. To be honest, but at this point, I don't think there's anything Theresa May can do to give the strong and stable government that she said she was going to do, right? Vote for the Tories for a strong and stable government. And it's falling down like a Kevin Spacey house of cards, whereby you, you the show is called House of Cards, but he's the main man, and after he goes, you can't really continue the series now with his reputation, and so the whole thing no. falls down yeah. like the show it's named after. So, How ironic. How delicious. It is ironic. ironic. <laughs> Friendly wasn't so sour uh, of a of a backstory to that, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but swiftly moving on from sex sex scandal allegations, Let's... um, yeah, there's just nothing that she can do right, and every time she tries to do something right, it backfires. And I, there is a certain degree to which I feel I feel sorry I feel sorry for her for that, um, because she's never been she's never had the opportunity to do what she could do. Um, and I say this as someone who would destroy the Tory party entirely if I had the chance. If I could Thanos my way around British <laughs> politics, you, you know which party's going first. But I think there is an element to which Theresa May is... Uh, because she's in the... Of course, she's the second female prime minister and also the second female conservative prime minister, which puts her in... She's not even has a likeness to Margaret Thatcher, right? Like yeah, she yeah. will forever be the shadow of, of Thatcher, but their personalities and the way they handle themselves could not be more different. Um, like she is not the Iron Lady; she is more. She's more like the Rusty Lady. Like <laughs> that's like, amazing. It, it, it's. And it's not even her own fault that she's in this position. But every time she tries to do something Thatcher-esque, and by Thatcher-esque I don't necessarily mean um, destroying the north of England, but more I mean, um, uh, you know, 
something controlling, authoritarian, but to you know that shows strength of character that you know that people can kind of rally behind. Every time she tries to be a, a leader, it it's disingenuous, it's hollow, it's it's modern day Tory, and. This uh, uh, this is going a long way off of off of Harry Kane and, and football, and I apologise for that. But there is a parallel here between I think um, uh, British politicians like David Cameron, George Osborne, uh, Theresa May, and like your modern day Tory Party, and then your modern day Republicans in the U.S. like uh, Paul Ryan and um, well, just well, Paul Ryan is is. The most noticeable guy i think it, it, in, in this case but they are a direct direct parallel because they are the inheritors of the conservative politics that came before them right like in the 80s the us and the uk had this uh, ronald reagan margaret thatcher alliance of this neo liberalism cap like ultra capitalist society that was Conservatism was based around profit, and the economics of it were pretty simple. It was everything that is nationalised should be privatised. And Thatcher did that, and Reagan did that. In the UK, Thatcher sold the energy grid. She sold the trains. She sold the water. Then it finally finishes with David Cameron selling the post office, because that is 30 years of this conservative politics by which we come to the modern day and there's nothing left for them to do. Everything that modern day conservative politics is built upon, they've achieved. And so where does your party go from there? If your entire economic foundation for the last 30 years was privatisation and you've privatised even the post office... What what is left for you to do? What when you go into the next election, what do you campaign on? And that is where the Brexit referendum comes in for David Cameron. Because David Cameron comes into that election, he has done everything he can do. The only thing left for the Conservative Party to do is to win over the uh the UKIP vote. And so they promised the Brexit referendum. Because that is the only thing that Conservatives have got left to offer, and they do it. And it fucks us. And now they did the one thing they have left to do. And David Cameron ran for the hills. And Theresa May is left with the ruins of Thatcher-esque policy. And she's looking around while the clowns... While the clowns... The the clowns are literally the inmates. And the inmates are running the asylum. And... Mm. It is a sham. British politics is a sham. And I don't know what there is for us going forward. Because the Conservative Party have got nothing left to offer. What all they had to all they had to offer in the last election was we'll continue to do what we were already doing. And what they were already doing was fucking us. And Well maybe there's more more of a correlation there to be made between uh, Theresa May and Gareth Southgate, as opposed to Theresa May and Harry Kane, um, as they're both obviously the 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 cap, the pilots trying to steer these these ships. Mm. And whereas, as you were saying, Theresa May maybe she, she can try her best to try and unify England and Britain, um, but everything around her is just making that impossible. Whereas Gareth Southgate has done some the exact opposite, and he's tried to unite an England that was split between people who didn't care about the England football team, people who love the England football team, and people who love the England football team but don't expect anything from the England football team. Yeah. So with the way uh, the way he's done it, I, I mean the the correlation between the English the English FA or the English football team and you know British the British government maybe is a bit of a stretch, but it is interesting how these two uh, leaders, these two like the the people who are standing front and centre with their, their entire system, at the forefront of their entire systems, having very opposite, uh, very opposite success and failure. And I think if you, were, if you were to look at the polls of who is more favoured, I think Gareth Southgate is going to uh, 
he could probably run for prime minister right now and win. Yeah, um, I think if you did a poll of the most popular England managers of all time, he'd probably come, <laughs> become he'd probably come second behind Alf Ramsey, who won the World Cup yeah. in '66, and yeah. he's only done one tournament. He's he's mm. he's he's transformed the attitude of the, of English people towards the England football team so so drastically, and he's filled us all with all this incredible hope. I mean, obviously we can have to put a lot of credit onto the, the players themselves as well for, for actioning his, uh, his system, his psychology and his, and his tactics. But there is, there is no doubt in my mind, at least that we could be looking at uh, like the, could be the most important man in English football for the next 20, 20 years. And that's, yeah, I, th- I, th- I mean, that's, I the exci- that's an exciting thing. Like once you get over the heartbreak of obviously like seeing these, these guys representing our country and, and, you know, getting as far as they possibly could, trying their absolute best, but still showing that they do lack some things in certain areas and work can be done. But there are definitely, like I said before, this is definitely the beginning. This is, mm. this is phase one. This is chapter one of the, the renaissance of, of English football. And I'm, I'm sure Theresa May, oh, I'm surprised. If I'm not, maybe I just haven't seen it, but I'm surprised Theresa May hasn't tried to throw, throw her arm in with the England football team and be like, oh, look, England are doing great at something. Let's yeah. let's let's try and share some of that glory. Yeah, well, David Cameron was making lots of tweets and uh, supporting the England team. There were lots of replies like "You don't get to enjoy this" and things like that. Um, I mean, we can have a separate conversation about David Cameron another time. I think, but <laughs> I think what what really um, caught the public imagination about Gareth Southgate was his direct contrast to players like Neymar um where with Neymar was kind of shamed because he was the most unsportsmanlike player that we've seen in openly probably since Maradona right i don't think that anyone's anyone's lack of sportsmanship has caught the world's attention well, uh, I, I'd say I can th- I can think of two. Or maybe Suarez. Yeah, I think, I think of two examples that supersede Neymar in this case. That would be Suarez uh, two World Cups ago with his handball off the line against Ghana, which yeah. is very hard for me to forget. I, I was heartbroken as it, I kind of latched onto Ghana in that tournament as like my my second team, and I absolutely loved watching them, and I really wanted them to go far. And Suarez stole it from them in the worst, most unsportsmanlike way, and then obviously. The biting incident against Chiellini in Italy is also pretty awful. But then the, I can also remember uh, Zidane's headbutt in the World Cup final against Italy. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but then I think everyone forgave Zidane pretty quickly after that. I think everyone looked yeah. at the situation and went, well, he's lost his rag and it's not a great way to end your career, but Marco Materazzi is the scumbag in this situation. He's, he's Yeah, yeah, yeah. How, but Zidane how is, amazing. Zidane is the that goes to show somehow. something about the character of Zidane. Right, yeah. that that he can headbutt a guy, and that everyone can be like, yeah, but he did headbutt him in the chest. <laughs> right? Yeah, it was like, only the chest. Yeah. yeah, like he didn't nut him in the nose and like break his nose or anything. Like he was reserved in it, rather than going, oh my god, he just like there was no yeah. criticism of Suarez. Like, yeah, but he didn't bite him on the nose. <laughs> no, yeah. like, no one was like, oh, I wonder what. Uh... Ghana or Georgia, uh, Georgina Chiellini did to Suarez to deserve such a response. There was nothing yeah. like that. It was just this guy is being a prick. Whereas, yeah, at yeah. least with Zidane, it was like there was no way he would do that unless he was seriously provoked. And, you know, yeah. Zidane has been quite coy about filling in all the details, but most uh, accounts do, uh, uh, do specify some unsavory things said to uh, him by Matarazzi all throughout the game about his. Maybe his sister or his mother, I can't remember, but you know, that, those kinds of jibes. So, yeah. uh, even before anyone knew what they were, even the me watching it was going, there's no way that was unprovoked. There's no way that he had said nothing the whole game and then maybe went, you know what, mate, you're not as good as you think you are. And he just turned around and nutted him. There was always something <laughs> more. Whereas, I yeah. mean, I, I did, I don't think I would go so far to say that I defended Neymar when we talked about this previously, but I tried to humanize him in somewhat, but. I still would never condone um, his actions. And I don't think that anyone could say that they were a, you know, a fair response to any kind of ill treatment that he mm. had been getting. 
Yeah. Whereas Gareth Southgate, in complete contrast to that, has been shown, um, like there are, there are the photographs of him after the the penalties against Colombia, where he's going up to the the players that missed the penalty, the Colombian players that missed the penalty, and you know reassuring them and supporting them and like helping the opposition after they lose. Right. Yeah. This isn't this isn't. Uh, Swiss, the Swiss players running into the opposing fans and, f- you know, giving them the Albanian flag. Um, like, he's gone up to the, uh, an opposition player who's going through an incredibly difficult... Like, you've just missed a penalty uh, and your team's out because of it. Yeah, and Gareth Southgate Saf- knows all about that. Yeah, he does. And he goes up there and he gives an overt display of sportsmanship that goes i think that does um you know it gives that sense of hope because it allows us to look at the england squad with a sense of pride like yeah. i this this is the difference is that i'm looking at the england squad and i'm angry and i'm disappointed because they should have done better and they didn't but what i am proud of of this england squad is that they didn't play like scumbags and yeah. that that is a, you know it's strange to come out of the World Cup going, yeah, but we didn't play like scumbags. So really, with the winners, that's not. I don't think that that's quite where I'm coming from. But if we transfer from Gareth Southgate's sportsmanship to the French team and specifically to Mbappe, it he got a yellow card in the the semi final against Belgium. For being unsportsmanlike, yeah, and this is a, a World Cup semi final. Like, th- I know he's not even 20 yet, he's still a kid. But when you are representing your country at and this, when people are heralding you as the next great player, and you know, kids are looking at him going, I can't wait to get my Mbappe shirt, yeah, and then to, to see it's like, oh. It, it's infuriating because we, we said um, earlier on about uh, players as role models, and you were saying like it doesn't matter how old you are, you're there. Um, yeah. Once you're like, a professional, you, get... you are you are a role model. That is part of the job. Yeah. 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 And it's so disappointing. I suppose that's what's so great about seeing Gareth Southgate act like that is it shows okay, so yeah, we're we're not the greatest football team in the world, but there is a heart and an honor to the to Gareth Southgate's team that is not being shown um on by by Mbappe um yeah there's a been that's and he is um often like you said there's so much focus on him so a player like that behaving in that way will bring the the whole media spotlight onto this kind of behavior but he obviously he's not the only person to do this and it's yeah. been something that's yeah. been rife throughout the tournament does that Time wasting, mind games, petulant, childish, just crap that I that I really get sick of, and I've said before, but that is the one thing that I hate the most most about football is is that kind of underhandedness. It's so it lacks it lacks so much honour, and I, what I don't understand is how accepted it is in in the realms of football. Like you hear, you hear things like, "Oh, that was a sensible foul to give away," or "He's taken one for the team," or you even hear commentators uh, what, during the games saying, "Like, if they're sensible now, they won't try and attack. They won't try and do anything interesting. They will just waste time, get the ball in the corner if they have possession, you know, uh, try and win fouls softly." Which is another thing Mbappe did in that game, which wound me up. I think Vertonghen maybe even got a yellow card for that. That non-challenge where mm. Mbappe received the ball on the right wing and Vertonghen was right touched tight up behind him and as soon as Mbappe got the ball he just fell to the ground no contact and there may have even been a linesman on that side and Mbappe falls to the ground he's trying to waste time free kick is given in his favour and Vertonghen maybe gets a yellow card I can't remember don't correct me on that but that really winds me up and Croatia well I won't give, say it's a whole of Croatia but Ivan Rat- Rakitic did that as well against England uh, last night just received the ball about, uh, about uh, halfway inside their own half. Um, and perfect thing to do at that point if you're trying to waste some time and slow the game down 
and knock any momentum out of your opposition is just to win a free kick and take your time with it. And he receives the ball. I can't remember who was, was with him or any player who was close to him. And he just falls over, receives the ball and falls. Just lets his legs go out from under him with no contact because yeah. a free kick is going to be awarded. It just, it just is. And it did. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> it is frustrating. I think it's so frustrating. It should it should be said, dear listeners, that, that in this podcast we've we've tried to um really I think we've tried to support as many teams as possible. Right. Yeah, we, we, we tried to be we tried to be as positive as possible and as analytical as possible going into uh, all of the different games and then like the politics of the different countries and you know, exploring what makes those countries great or at least what makes them interesting. Um and there have definitely been times where I've got a bit angry about uh, certain political actions. But it is this semi-final that really leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And I think it leaves a bad taste in my mouth because, I, first of all, England lost. Um, and England lost when they should have won, which, I, you know, that, that, that annoys me. But also, I've really liked the French team. I've really liked them the whole way through the tournament. And I've thought through the tournament, like, even if they don't win this World Cup, this is, in the next World Cup, these guys are, like, the next dominant team. As Germany has gone down, the French the French are back with this team. And in four years' time, it's gonna, they're basically going to be psychic. It's going to be like playing a... Uh, it's not going to be playing against the, the fucking... Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters sports team, <laughs> whereby they've all got a psychic link, and you don't know how how do they know where everybody is? Well, they're the X Men. That's how. Um. So to see them, uh, I get. I say this, you know. Again, you're you're right. It it is Mbappe particularly who who is acting that way. But it's. Uh, it does leave a sour taste in the mouth that it these does. are the guys yeah. that could potentially win the World Cup. And I agree with you on Croatia. There are three different instances I saw where the referee gave a call against England that should have gone in their favour. Towards the end, in extra time, there was a, I think it was a free kick that Croatia headed out past their, past their keeper. And then it was given as a goal kick. And yeah, that one yeah. was like... There was like, uh, guys, no, that should be a corner. And there were, there was, uh, I think we're talking. I think it was Harry Kane is the one you were talking about. Harry Kane went up for for a header, and then the uh, the Croatian player just fell to the ground. And Harry Kane was like, "What? Like, I literally didn't even touch you, but yeah. they they got the free kick out of it." But that that did annoy me. But the one thing about Croatia that redeemed them was after they scored, after they scored. Um, they ran to, to celebrate with the crowd. And as they ran, the whole team and, and everyone came up and they smashed the whole team into the photojournalists. And all yeah. of these photojournalists get knocked down. And what happened next was the Croatian players started helping up the photojournalists, making yeah. sure the photojournalists were okay, having a laugh with them, slapping them on the arm. And... The photojournalists were laughing even though they just got thrown to the ground. The Croatians were, were celebrating. And it's like, I'm there heartbroken that, oh, great, England's going home. And on the other hand, I'm like, God, I really admire that. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like, I'm not I'm not upset that England lost to Croatia. Of, of all the teams, yeah, I think Croatia yeah. deserved to win. And they yeah. are not a bunch of wind-up merchants and douchebags that conned their way through this tournament they've done it fairly honorably as far as football goes so there's i've got nothing if we had yeah if we had lost to the likes of france with that kind of behavior i mean i i i can't remember many other instances besides mbappe so that's i don't want to put it all on the french team yeah um although lucas hernandez in the uh, throughout this tournament has wound me up considerably especially in the group games he was doing all kinds of mbappe like shit in the first few games and i it was really really grinding on me and i was hating france for, for because of him, I think he settled down a bit. Maybe he had a word in his ear, or maybe he just realised he wasn't getting all all of these um, all the calls that he was desperately trying to con out the referee. So he just you know got his head on and actually played football for a bit. But um, 
yeah, to Croatia at least that that did not leave a sour taste in my mouth. That all, yeah. all that came out of England was fairly positive, besides besides the loss. Whereas, like you say, there was elements of from Belgium too um, as well. I won't just put it all on France, but some of the behaviour from professional, supposedly world class footballers can be very uh, uh, can can be very frustrating, especially when it's witnessed by millions and millions of people and this is what people are seeing and yet they have no shame about it that's that was something that really confuses me the perfect parallel here is donald trump is it do tell well what is really remarkable about the presidency of donald trump is that he will lie oh yeah and, and be and, caught out and at look, it <laughs> Yeah, and look the camera, look directly into the camera, say something that is categorically not true, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care. And he has, exactly as you're saying, he has no shame about it. And it's, it's incredible. The man's, uh, uh, the man's ability to lie and never, without a second's hesitation... It's like a gift from God. And I think Trump is the Neymar of politics. <laughs> um, but the it's... thing with Trump is, though, it's not so much a gift in that, like, I'm sure men... and he's the worst politician because everyone could tell when he's lying. It's not like he does it well. He's not convincing. It's just his complete lack of shame and, and, and his immorality with his lying, which is, is, is just baffling. And, yeah, but that, and, that's that's what makes him so. That, but it's conversely also like so good. How willing people are to swallow it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah, yeah. even though yeah. it's it's so clearly a lie, and yeah, that maybe that is a correlation with football, and that we're watching people cheat multiple, multiple times throughout every single game of of football. That that's that, you know, that's no exaggeration. That's a fairly accurate statement. Mm. I I would have thought, but yet yeah, we just go ah, it's football, and then if something amazing happens, someone scores a great goal or is a great bit of football. All of the, the the sour stuff is forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't hate yeah. on football. We started this because we, we love football. Uh, but, you know, like anything that's great, it's not perfect. Well, the, the, reason, the reason that we're so angry about it or so upset about it is because we love it. Yeah, absolutely. And... Like that's the reason that uh, that it does make you upset. It's the reason that the the England thing made me made me uh, a bit angry. Was because since the beginning of the tournament, every match we've gone into, I've said, "Oh well, this will be the one where England gets knocked out." And I said that about about Croatia as well. But it's like, yeah, I think I, I think I'm with you with what you were saying earlier. Well, I I dared to dream. Yeah, they made for me a care. They made us yeah. care, didn't they? Yeah fuckers <laughs> how dare they give well, me hope yeah i mean uh in in the coming days we have the uh the losers game which will be belgium versus england again the um the only time i think this tournament where two teams that have already played each other will will play again um obviously last time that the belgium played england neither team put out their their strongest team at the end of the uh at the end of the group stages um hmm, and i can't imagine I, Saturday will be much different. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll just, it'll probably be a rematch of the same B teams. I would have thought. I imagine Harry Kane's probably gone home already. Um. Then, on Sunday, 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 we have the uh, the World Cup final: France versus Croatia. Croatia's first World Cup final. Yeah, that's exciting. But that is like, exciting. I, that's that's what I mean. I don't feel so bad that. Croatia got through because their story is kind of cool and they and yeah and like I say they've gone about it the right way. Yeah, yeah. So I'm definitely backing Croatia in this one coming up. I, that I'll, I'll sleep through it if possible to uh, to give them some. Oh no, I'll be I'll be watching the first half from Bangkok Airport as I uh, you know football's not coming home but I am. As, uh, <laughs> Which is saying. even better, really. <laughs> no, you you are much too kind on on. Uh, Dominic's coming home. <laughs> I don't think uh, Skinner and Badil are as uh, quite as excited about that. <laughs> they should be. 
Yeah. But we will, of course, be dropping a, a final episode about the World Cup final um, in, in the days following. If I'm back in the UK, maybe we can actually do it in person. Face to face. We can hold My hands. My God, that, would, uh, that will actually be great. I'm, I'm really excited for that. That would be terrific. And hopefully I'll have Wi-Fi set up in my new house. We can do it in my house and not in some empty cavernous building. <laughs> I know you've been, yeah, you've been squatting in the... <laughs> I have, yeah. Just for the Wi-Fi. Just squatting for the Wi-Fi. Well, thank you for, for squatting for the Wi-Fi and listening to this episode if you watch the World Cup. Share, uh, be sure to, uh, to let us know if you're also squatting just so you can uh, listen to this episode that'd be great <laughs> if we have any Chinese listeners they undoubtedly will have been squatting the whole way through um, I'm downbeat still I know this has been a good therapy session but I'm it, yeah it feels good to talk about it for sure but... it does it does but I'm it's going to take a couple of days I think yeah I think so too um, and it'd be good to have a couple of days without any football just to just to decompress and try yeah. and redis- rediscover some, some love again. Yeah. And the, yeah, I'm yeah. with you. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening. And hopefully you-, you, you listeners aren't as, as heartbroken, as, as uh, dejected as we are. Um, as sour grapes. Uh, <laughs> let us, uh, let us know if you have any thoughts about did did the England boys make you proud? I know my mum was very proud. I think she's more proud of the losing team than she is of me. But you know, I'm not upset about it. Um, it's okay. It's, it's okay. So don't worry, Dom. Everything's gonna be okay. You're gonna come. You're gonna come live with me, <laughs> and I'll give you all the love you need. <laughs> Thank you. I I appreciate that. But let us know if did the England team make you proud. Has Theresa May and the Conservative Party made you proud? I think you would have to be Theresa May's mum to feel that (laughs) way. But, (laughs) you know, maybe you, if Theresa May's mum, are also more proud of the England team than you are of your your child. That would not be unwarranted. Uh, Thank you for listening. We will see you for the World Cup final and wrapping up this podcast. Oh, it's going to be an emotional goodbye. If you have any suggestions for podcasts that you would like us to do after this, then then please let us know. Um, I am very keen for every sing- an analysis of every single movie about football ever made. I know Dave is not quite as excited about that <laughs> as I am. But we have uh, Bend It Like Beckham. We have Goal. Goal 2. Goal 3. <laughs> and other classics. Uh, th- and other classics. That, What's that, that one? That one that Escape to Victory. Sylvester Stallone yeah, yeah. Pele Escape and Michael Caine, where they're escaping yeah. the Nazis. Come on! By playing Who doesn't want to hear about that? I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to watch that again, at least. We've got wishes to down and watch that. After the I think we away. definitely should. Yes, I agree. That sounds like a, that sounds like a really good day. <laughs> so thank you for listening. And if you would like us to, to watch that movie and review it, then please do let us know, because I think we're quite keen Thanks. Bye. Bye.